Cahill Summers. And I'm Deirdre Glenn. Your Chagas Sustainability Advisors. And you're welcome to the Chagas Environment Edge podcast number 48, bringing you the latest information, science and opinion to improve farm sustainability. With huge pressure on farmers to increase efforts to reduce emissions by 2030, what is the one action a farmer can start doing this year without any additional effort that will not only contribute towards reducing gaseous emissions, but also save money on the farm? Donegal Signpost Programme Dairy Farmer Richard Sterrett and his Chagas advisor Conor McGuire joins us to discuss his experience of using protected urea for the last four years. Richard, Conor, you're very welcome to the show. Thanks, Cal. Thanks, Cal. Yeah, look, Richard, especially you, um, I know we're, we're in the middle, we're towards the end of January now and Calvin season's coming hot and heavy, so thanks a million for taking the time out. I know it's uh, it's difficult this time of year. You're, you're in for the next couple of months are going to be pretty full on for you. But I suppose, Richard, can you tell me a little bit about the farm, where where you're farming and what type of farming you're doing? I'm just farming outside Lufford here in Donegal, where Spring Calvin, HBA herd, we're around 160 cows. Probably a good high soils, like we're on around uh, protein, uh, 3.9 protein and uh, 4.35 fat. Try to get the cows out the grass as soon as we can in the spring and maybe to finish grazing, maybe with the middle of November each year. It all depends on weather and whether we're out for two hours or all day, etc. How soon do you normally get out in the spring, Richard? What's the grass growth like up there? or how, how... Grass growth will be fairly low now. And... Is that February, February and March would usually be in single figures. We we'll try to get out usually from the middle of February on if the weather, if the ground conditions and weather is right. And what what would you class your farm as? Would it be a free drain farm or a kind of a heavyish farmer? It would be a, a mixture. We have our dry fields and our weather fields and stuff like that. Yeah. The farm runs from sea level to six hundred feet, so it's not just there's nothing flat about it. You're, yeah, you're high enough in areas. The cows have to do a bit of work walking up and down. Then yeah. Uh, what's what's you probably? I know you've done a lot in the farm the last few years. Um, what's your soil fertility like in the farm at the moment? Soil fertility is fairly good. There's a lot of index uh, threes and fours, and the pH is on around the the mid six six and a half. Your optimum across the farm, anyway. Yeah, check a soil test. I've seen them in the same post program. I was asked to join it last uh, in 2021 by Frank Kelly, who used to be in the program, and I accepted. And check a soil test at my farm last year this time last year and uh, all indexes came back and then Connor got me a map then um colored map for p for one for ph and one for p and one for k and it gave me a fair idea by looking at this map a laminated no always where i needed to concentrate my slurry and, and stuff on for keeping my indexes right and my lime etc I, I love those maps. I think they're great when you're in the office or sitting in the tractor where to target that slurry, which we know now it's, it's so valuable and, and the fertility. You mentioned uh, just uh, on grass grass growth and that, um, Richard, do you, do you measure grass or anything like that? Yeah, grass is measured in pasture base. Yeah. What type of tons are you, are you growing across the farm? Or? Usually in around 14 tons of dry matter per hectare grown each year. Yeah, impressive. Yeah. Do, you're growing, growing a good bit of grass. Yeah. Yeah. Um, just Richard, you mentioned signpost there as well. The program. How how did you get involved in that, or where did that come from, or did you have an interest in sustainability, or kind of looking at reducing gaseous emissions, or where, where did that all come about? I suppose like the high bay hair, like and we're looking to have a something that'll get plenty of uh, milk sales, like uh, with less meal, etc. And uh, was that's why Frank Kelly asked me back in twenty twenty one would I be interested up this way to to join the program. I said, that's okay, I'll try it. I'm not going to see how it goes. So 
We've had plenty of help there over the year. We had a good advisor there for a while there, Shane O'Hanlon. Um, he has just moved on to that area, advisor since. Yeah, you're you're obviously not afraid to try new things anyway, because I know your EBI is very impressive as well, and you're you've been working hard on it. Yeah, oh yeah, no, it's a thing you have to sit and spend a few hours in the office every year picking bulls, etc. Because we just had a, a meeting on a, one of our discussion group members farmed last year. Uh, it was a breeding meeting, and uh, over the average, a uh, his price was compared to the average price in Arriva Co-op. This last five years, it was a hundred thousand better euro better off. That meant picking his bulls right. It was twenty twenty thousand a year better off. So two hours in the office, ten thousand euros an hour for having the red bulls. It is a good, it is a good payment. I take it. Yeah. <laughs> what What is your EBI sitting at now, Richard? Two hundred and twenty-one. You're in the top uh, percentages of the country. It's area at that. Top one percent, yeah. And sometimes we forget about sustainability. It's not just about putting all these measures in place, but it's also about you know it's about it's about trying to maintain profit while protecting the environment as well, isn't it? Yeah, that sure is. Yeah. You know, we, t- we talked about a few measures already, but t- today I really want to discuss protected urea, urea with you. Um, can you tell me when you got into protected urea and maybe what, what made you take the jump? Um, Chaga started to talk about protected urea back in the 2018 and all, and uh, I said I would try it, but it wasn't really available at that time. But 2019 came then and the co-op started to get some of it on, so... We did tried using it at that stage, like, and we didn't see any problem with it. And even in the summertime, when the ground conditions got drier and all, it worked okay. Then since that, then we've gone to use it far more, like, no, no, no problems at all, like, because, like, when you can get it with sulfur on and sulfur or without sulfur, 46% nitrogen, it's a 1 1. And even when you go to, to sow fertilizer, like, if you put uh, even 375 kilos or whatever into the sower, Goes a long way with the momentum, with the strength of it. Yeah, and I, I suppose I suppose Chagas have been pushing protectorate for a couple of years now. What what was it? Did you hear the discussion group? Was it was your advisor one to one that that gave it a little push? I suppose mm. there's a certain percentage of farmers using it, and there's a lot more that would like to use it. But what what was it that that made the difference for you to use it? Yeah, just for the like there's a lot of lower emissions than seventy uh, percent lower emissions than than uh, ordinary urea. Ammonia, ammonia, like, and 71% lower nitrous oxide than can, like so. There's, it's a no brainer to protect the industry. Um, mm-hmm, yeah. I, I suppose, Connor, um, just touching on Richard has mentioned it to now, but why I, I suppose why people are wondering why has Chagas put such a big push in protected jury over the last couple of years? It's, it's all kind of falling down to these targets that the government have set us to achieve like a 51% overall reduction in greenhouse gas emissions by 2030 and I suppose like like we, we all have to play our part on achieving these targets and I suppose, I suppose look at the protected areas we're chatting about here today is like especially on dairy farms you know if if we could get a high percentage of dairy farmers to switch to using 100% protected area and kind of move away from the cans, you, there's a big potential there to to reduce emissions by 70% on every farm, like just by switching from can to protected urea. Like. Yeah, and, and look, we are under pressure to, to reduce emissions by 2030. Um, and I suppose, look, protected urea is not the silver bullet known, but, but it does contribute significantly. To, well, I suppose, Connor, the thing I like about it is, you know, if a farmer wakes up tomorrow morning and says, right, I'm going to change from can or urea to protected urea this year, 
it's it's not a big deal to switch. It's not like they have to build something. It's something they can do instantly. Richard, you would have seen that too. As uh, there probably was always the the this this factor around it that our oh, tired got that uh, me me co-op doesn't stock it and the the shelf life of the inhibitor they won't stock it because they're short shelf lives and like as Richard will tell you as as well I suppose if you don't speak up and order it through your co-ops and time at what it can be got like there's no problem getting it um just you need to speak up or an order it in time and uh, very important Connor. Mm-hmm. It doesn't take them very long to get it on, like if you just say you want it or what you want. And like, look, I suppose a lot of the uh, the 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 shelf life of the inhibitor, like a lot of the a lot of the fertilizer companies in the country now, like they're they're giving a 12, 12 months a twelve month shelf life on them NBT inhibitors. Yeah, that was one of the main questions that you saw always come up, like how. There was always a worry about shelf life, but you know, twelve months is a long shelf life, and I think even Connor at that, even after twelve months, it, there's not it doesn't really reduce the impact of the product drastically at all. I think it's only two or three percent. I think is it? That's correct. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So Richard, that that probably wasn't that shelf life thing. Once I suppose you heard about that, didn't really worry a whole lot, I presume. Well, at the beginning, I probably did about it because you didn't want to have uh, fertilizer left in the middle of September if you had to keep it for the next year. You've actually paid a wee bit extra for it, and maybe the next year, then it was had lost its protection. But like now, uh, I wouldn't have any problem with that. With some of that stuff's a soft life of up to 12 years, like or 12 months, right? So, uh, one thing I will say about protected urea, um, you need to keep the cover on the sore all the time because if you leave some fertilizer on the sore at night time, it will turn messy the next day. But we never have that problem. Like we don't try to empty out the sore or anything because you're sore nearly every few days anyway after the cows, let alone often. Richard, uh, just just I suppose back before you started using prote- protected urea, what were you using instead of it? We've been using a good bit of can and 18612 and 101020. Um 18612 and 101020 we used like the build indexes and we don't we never use any pasture sword or cut sword or anything like that there. Like. Are you finished with can and urea? Then normally you don't use either of those products anymore. Everything is protected on your farm, bar the compounds. Yeah. And do you find any difference in the way you farmed compared to now, uh, changing over to protected urea? Has it made it more difficult or easier, I suppose? With protected urea, you can't mix it with uh, phosphorus. Has that been a problem on your farm? Not really, because like it's not as if we're going out all the time uh, to... Put on a phosphorus out, like we get a lot of ours now with the index has been high out of our slurry, uh, targeted to lower P and K fields. And uh, other than that, if we had to top up fields or something, we'd go with 10, 10, 20 or, or 07, 30 or something like that. Oh, that's for the color coded NMP maps come in handy, Richard. Like, yeah. and like you know, for even giving a contractor coming onto the farm to spread slurry, you can pinpoint exactly and give the contractor a copy of the maps and Richard knows where he can target that slurry and on them paddocks. And I suppose then too, Richard, like you've got uh, slurry tested through the signpost as well. And, yeah, that is you, know, good, yeah. you, you know, you, you suppose you found that beneficial too, like knowing exactly what nutrient content was in your slurry. Yeah, yeah you're saving money all the time there because when you... I always said as well, slurry it was always seen as a waste product for such a long time. And the minute you get a test on that and it comes back to say 1,000 gallons of slurry is 9 units of nitrogen and 5 units of phosphorus and 35 units of potassium, now all of a sudden it becomes like a product like 18 to 12, Richard. So I'm sure you do you appreciate those tests, see the value in them. That's right. 
what we are actually doing now, we have, we are around to soil testing every year. I'm involved in the Grassland Agro Program with Arivo as well, and um, they soil test it every year as well. And like it just leaves you, you're on top of the game all the time. If any indexes start to go down, you're able to target those fields. If they were high last year and low this year, like you can target them and know where, where to put your slurry, or even if you have to buy 10, 10, 20 or something to put on them, with it online, etc. Connor, just on the, 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 I suppose, just to, for any listeners wondering about, uh, we mentioned the, the phosphorus not working well with protected urea. Can you just explain that um, about why there's an issue or maybe how is the storage is the issue, I presume? The phosphorus, basically, it's a, it's not stable. It, it breaks down in days and it, it's like the pee, the pee breaks down and then have it fairly quickly, so it does like. Yeah, so it's just in the bag that you can't store the phosphorus. But it's okay for K and sulfur, I think, as Richard said there a few minutes ago. K and sulfur within the protected area, that inhibitor, that's that's fairly stable with sulfur and K. Yeah, and I think, I think Richard, the way you said you're tackling it, and the way you're tackling it to me is the way to go is you're probably top-loading your phosphorus between March and June anyway, so you can use your compounds like 18612 rather and then use your protected area straight then throughout the grazing season. That's right, yeah. Some might put on actually mirror the potash maybe at the September time as well in some of the settage fields. In the back end, the top up, yeah. In the top up, as needed like. You said something interesting there a second ago, Richard, and a few farmers said it to me as well, that when you, you're using protected urea and you're up in the high 40s percentage nitrogen compared to if you're using can, when you load up that spinner, it goes a long, long way that you don't have to start uh, emptying it and filling it when you're following the cows. That's right. It's uh, nice that you're not running back to the yard all the time, looking for the top up. <laughs> That's the one job I hate, having to top, top up the spinner the whole time you have to do it. <laughs> you can sit down on the tractor there and put on the, some of these podcasts and stuff and listen to them there with, the, with your phone connected to your radio on the tractor. and The, the Environment Edge podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we get you someone to open the gaps for you, then you'll be right. You don't have to get out of the seat at all. Uh, Connor, tell us this. Um, what would you say to farmers that are, you would have a lot of farmers talking there for a while about spreading urea kind of in, in the first application nitrogen and then starting to use protected urea. Um, can you can you comment, I suppose, on the, the efficiency of using normal urea versus protected urea earlier on and maybe the, the, the cost as well? The big advantage of spreading that protected urea for farmers, they can, well, on this part of the country, they can use it from early February until early September and it's, it's, it will work as effectively as urea in the spring in the damp conditions. And, you know, due to that, the inhibitors, it, it'll release the end slower and more efficiently than can in the summertime. Like, so and there is big benefits and also probably the biggest key driver along with the environmental impact of protected urea would be the cost. Like it's a, it's a cheaper product per unit value of nitrogen compared to standard urea and can. Like. And, and that does mean a lot to the farmer. Right? I think we're saying if you spread urea and you get caught with the weather, it's something like you have to spread 10% more normal urea than protected urea to get the same value, which you know, that, that, that's a massive saving to farmers if they stick to protected urea. Because I think for a, year, for a few years, we were, we were kind of told that um, in the damp weather, like, you know, the damp mild weather, you get away with normal urea. But I think if the weather goes against you at all, there, there is huge loss of ammonia, ammonia from that that normal urea, which you could be caught out in production-wise. That's right. Yep. Yeah, the loss of the loss of it is a big one. Uh, Richard, one one I suppose practical one for you when when you're out spreading with protected urea, um, is or do, do you calibrate your spinner? What's it like to calibrate, or how, do do you normally do calibrations on your fertilizer spinner? 
Well, we do, yeah. But I think it's, it's not massively, not a big change altogether from ordinary area in the past, as we showed in the past. And uh, like, uh, the sewing walk, like, we, we were a wagtail sewing, it sold 12 metres. And we don't see all these stripy fields about, like, so it's yeah. a good uh, spread of it now. It's getting a good spread, yeah. I know it will be slightly less of a spread with than can because it's a lighter granule, but that'd be normal with normal urea as well, wouldn't it? Yeah, that's right. One, I suppose, Connor. I, I want. There's a few myths that I want you to expel. I suppose because there's often, I think, Richard, you touched on it there as well. When when any new technology comes on board, it doesn't matter who you are. Yeah, you know, people will be a little bit in fear of it in case you know it affects production or cause a problem on the farm. But there's a couple of questions off come up, Connor. You can might help us out. Uh, will will protected urea work as fast as can or standard urea? It will. Yep. A short answer, and well, yeah. I think it was trials in Johnson Castle proved yep. that. I think trials, yeah, they do, yeah. Over that long-term trial in Johnstown Castle, there was a six-year trial, yeah. It will. There, there is work on more Park there as well. I think as well. There is, yeah. These are quick-fire questions, so that that's fine as well. And dry conditions. Um, is there, uh, traditionally we would have always spread urea in uh, damp conditions. Is it okay to spread in dry a uh, dry condition? It is, yeah. The protected urea. The, again, back to the inhibitor, the coating that's on that on that product that'll allow you to spread effectively all year round within the fertilizer seasonally i think patrick farsell said to me before his research in johnson castle that because it like what richard you said it it it, it gets wet it attracts moisture it's hydroscopic to call it that even the, the dew in the summertime can help melt that nitrogen into the ground and make it safe which is which is really beneficial big thing in new zealand uh, years ago or well, it's not years ago but 10 10 years ago now is they had issues with nitrification inhibitors which is different than the urease inhibitor but it was getting into the, the food chain, into the milk. Uh, is there any issue with the, the urease inhibitor NBPT getting into the food chain, Connor? No, look, I suppose that's backed up by by, by research and studies carried out too, like within Moor Park. And them studies have shown that there is, there's no traces of that coming into the milk. Yeah, I, I think they nearly fed the stuff to the, the animals to make sure it wasn't. It's regulated by EU anyway and by Ireland. It's commonly used across Europe as far as I know. So that's it. They're very strong in that, actually, and um, they're, they're quite happy with that. It is regulated within the EU, all right, and Irish bodies like it's regulated, yeah. Richard, would, would that have been a concern of yours at the start when you started to hear about it, or had you heard about that thing in New Zealand there 10 years ago? No, I didn't hear that about New Zealand now, but um, it's good that there were trials done in this country and uh, that everything's turned out okay. Like. I, I think the difference there, I suppose, just to make people very clear on it, was... In New Zealand, they're, they're effectively spraying the land, I think, with a different type of, of, of so nitrification inhibitor, and that was getting in But over time. But in Ireland, the urease inhibitor is the coat to granules, or, so it's completely different. Uh, yeah, like I said, I think they nearly fed it to the animals. It still wasn't coming out in any, any of the food or milk, so it's, that's a good sign. Uh, anyone into the soil microbiology, Connor? Does protected urea affect the soil microbiology? If, uh, I suppose all those bacteria and fungi that cycle nutrients first, does it do any harm to them? It doesn't, yeah, it doesn't. It, uh, again, back to the to, to the trials in John Town's Castle that they carried out, um, it actually showed a positive impact on them soiled biological communities. Like. Yeah, yeah, that was Dove et al, I think it was a good one, yeah. And that was a, a one you would worry about, so that that's that's uh, positive. And last one, not to be annoying you, um, the lime issue. We're always worried about lime and spreading urea. What what can we spread protect urea after liming? You can, yep. It's safe to apply to paddocks that have been limed fairly recently, like you know, within a couple of days after it. Like. 
and that's that's good news for people because look, Richard, these, these are all I suppose practical questions farmers ask because when it's one thing about to say to use protect your ear, but it's another thing when you have to go home and actually start using. These are little things you would worry about, I presume. Yeah, like what you mentioned there about Lehman Slurry, like that used to be always a problem with the ordinary getting it on at the right time with slurry and all the rest. Where you can go out and spread your slurry, then you can go ten days or so later then with your protected urea, like and there's no issues for it. Uh, you couldn't really do that with ordinary. Last one to finish up, Richard, um, and it's probably an important one for people. We we have an industry uh, across the country who I suppose look we're we're looking to reduce our nitrogen use, our chemical nitrogen use, and from our discussion today, you are doing that. You're testing your slurry, your grass measuring. You're I know you're using clover as well, so you're doing everything in your power to reduce your chemical, but to to, to grow the grass for the the animals, a certain amount of nitrogen has to be used. And we're hoping the farmers will all convert across the country protect urea, and you have done already and have been for the last four to five years. Is there any advice or what would you say to farmers um, at the moment who are sitting on the fence, who are still using can maybe in urea? Would you have any advice to them, that, I, I suppose? Go ahead, go ahead and uh, contact a merchant to see can you get it. And, um, you can either get uh, 38% with sulfur or 46% without and try it to see because you'll find that it works very well and you'll end up with more money in your back pocket when you're finished because it's, it's cheaper per unit of nitrogen spread. So cheaper per unit nitrogen spread. So number one, you're going to save money and you found that it has it's had no impact. It's, you're not growing any less grass than you were growing when you were using um, other nitrogen products. No, no, no less grass grown, no. Yeah. And I suppose the big thing that I'd be interested in, particularly there's a lot of pressure on the, both the beef and the dairy industry is um, our carbon our carbon targets for 2030 I suppose every farmer that starts using protect your ear Richard is is probably protecting our agricultural industry going into the future aren't they yeah uh, it's, uh, it's a must now really going forward because we like to we like to do something to contribute to to get more carbon neutral rather than being forced to do it Richard, Connor, really appreciate you joining me on the show today. Uh, look, I, I think it's important, Richard, for, for uh, farmers listening to hear somebody who's using it for a long time and how they're getting on with it. And that's not something to be afraid of. And thanks a million for taking the time out and best of luck with the cabin season ahead. Thank you, much, Cal. Thanks, Cal. Thank you. That's it for this episode of the Chagas Environment Edge podcast. Thanks to Signpost Programme Dairy Farmer Richard Starrett from Donegal and his Chagas advisor, Conrad Guerra, for joining us on the show. Don't forget to rate, review and subscribe to the podcast. You can listen to Apple and Google Podcasts as well as Spotify. And for more information, go to the Chagas website at chagas.ie. I'm Carl Summers. Join us next time for the Chagas Environment Edge podcast, signpost to farm sustainability.